I know what you've been waiting for, right? The topic of the day. Uh, as I announced our topic for today, some of you probably, when you heard me talk, say we're going to talk about sexual identity, my guess is you already had in mind what I was going to talk about today, right? And in other words, you said, I know there's some specific things that Brother Scott was going to address, and you had those in your mind. I, I know you, maybe some of you say, I already know what the sermon's going to be today. Well, here's probably what's going to happen. When I get done, there's probably going to be ways in which you say, I was right about what I thought the message was going to be about. And then there's going to be other ways you're going to say, I was a little bit wrong about what I thought the message was going to be about. What I know is that our topic today is a topic, hear me, you ready? Is a topic that will apply to everyone in this room in one way or another in your life. And if you're wondering what I mean by that, you're going to have to just listen to what I say because some of you are going to say, oh, when I heard that topic, this is not going to apply to me today. I guarantee you it will apply to everyone in the room this morning. You see, there's no doubt that a discussion in the church and in our families on this subject for today is one that is needed in our society. At every turn, it seems we're bombarded with stories that are dealing with sexuality and sexual identity. Recently in the news, we heard about states that have been acting laws to prevent gender surgeries and under other gender treatments for minors. We've also seen many church denominations split over their views on homosexuality. There is a continual message that's being sent that we should allow people to embrace whatever gender and sexuality that they want. And as Christians, we're left to wonder what should our response be and how should we view this subject? Well, folks, if we're going to answer our questions correctly, then what we must do is we must first turn to God's word and see what God's word says. You see, God's word is always our starting point, for it is our start of truth. And as I say starting point, it's also our finishing point, right? This is our source of truth. Now, as we go through our discussion today, I think we should view this topic as suggested by Mark Yarhouse did in his book, Homosexuality and the Christian. Yarhouse suggests that we must deal with the topic, really, of sexuality in terms of creation, the fall, redemption, and glorification. And we're going to start our subject today by looking at this idea of creation and ask ourselves, how has God created this world and how has God created us as people? We're going to start in Genesis 1:27, where we're going to read this. And we'll read this about God's design for sexuality. All right, look at what it says, Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Here's what's very clear from this verse, is that God created mankind with two specific genders. He created male and he created female. It was God's perfect design. When a person is born, gender is established, and it is not something that we choose. And a person, therefore, should live in accordance with the gender of their birth. Now, as we continue to read about this in creation, in Genesis 2.24, we move on as we look at his design and we know that there's these two genders, we can see how also then God designed for us to live out our sexuality. We read this in the passage there in Genesis 2.24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
Now, without today, because I could spend probably weeks on this subject, so without going in depth with our discussion, we can ultimately see that in God's design for creation is that God has ultimately placed sex within the bounds of a monogamous heterosexual relationship so that a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves or hold fast to his wife. In that context, sex is a good thing and it is a beautiful thing. In fact, it says this in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You see, furthermore, as we look at scriptures, we're going to see this, that marriage is viewed very highly by God. It is, in fact, it is viewed as a covenant relationship that is even used to talk about God's relationship with his people. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as the faithful husband to a wayward wife. And in the New Testament, we see the church referred to as the bride of Christ. The union of a man and woman as husband and wife is meant to be a sacred relationship, a relationship that makes possible procreation and demonstrates unconditional love. What we can clearly say is this, is within the context of a monogamous heterosexual marriage, you hear me? Sex is a beautiful thing. And it is a gift of God. It is nothing to be ashamed of. And in its appropriate expression of love, it is within that context of marriage as God has designed it. Now, unfortunately, God's perfect design quickly became tainted, all right? If we look and say, here's what God designed and here was his perfect design, what we know is it became tainted. In fact, many of y'all know that something happened shortly after creation. There is this thing that was called the fall. We read these verses not that long ago, but let me read them again this morning in light of our discussion. Because in Genesis 3, 6, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and that they knew that they were naked. Now see, in this moment, mankind sinned. And sin entered the world and brought with it corruption of many kinds. Now, one of those areas that became corrupted was sexuality. What God had created as something that was innocent and something that was good now became corrupted with the rest of creation. With that, here is what we need to see. It is not just one specific sexual sin that exists because of the fall, but in fact, there are many sexual sins because of the fall. In fact, listen to Paul's words to the Corinthian church who, was, who also lived in a time with the reality of sexual sin in their culture. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church there. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, in just this one verse or so, we can see that sexuality has been corrupted in many ways because of the fall. We see they're listed in that verse. There's sexual immorality of adultery, homosexuality, all as unrighteous acts before God. You, you see, when we talk about the corruption of sexuality and sexual identity, here's what we often do. We often jump just to one place, especially on our culture. And here's what we want to do. We want to pick on homosexuality. And when we say that's the corruption of sexuality in our culture, but folks, if we're going to address this topic in its completeness, we have to understand this, that adultery is a corruption of God's intent for sex. 
okay? That pornography is a corruption of God's design for sex. That prostitution is not in God's perfect plan. That using sex as a means of manipulation is outside the design of God. That sex outside the context of a marriage relationship is outside God's perfect design as well. And I'm sure that we can name other corruptions, but do you get my point this morning? It's not just one. We can't elevate one sin and say, this is a sexual sin above all sin. We have to understand it's been corrupted and we have to deal with them all. Here's what we know to be true experientially, all right? We all are tempted to view things as desirable that God has warned us are harmful, right? Thank you for saying amen. I got at least one out of the bunch. Y'all are sleepy this morning. You lied to me, right? We just saw that Eve looked at the forbidden tree and saw that it was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desirable to supposedly make one wise. And so she ate. I love the way Jackie Hill Perry spoke about this when she said this. The deception was in believing that the tree was more satisfying to the body and more pleasurable to the sight than God. That's a pretty good quote, right? When we are tempted to do things that we know are against God's will, what we are really debating is who or what is going to rule our lives. You see, Satan, like with Eve, is constantly tempting us, trying to get us to see things as more desirable than God. He's trying to get us to believe certain actions or things will bring us happiness and peace when only God in doing his will can bring that to our lives. But often we are faced with temptation that says that if you do this, it will bring you pleasure. If you do this, it will be good for you. If you do this, it will be satisfying to your life. And by the way, when we give into those temptations, it doesn't normally take long for us to realize what we thought was true was a lie, right? Let me give you a simple and not so serious example this morning to kind of lighten things up, right? It's kind of like when you go to your favorite Mexican restaurant and you just ate your dinner size portion of your meal, right? And then afterwards you realize, hey, you know what would really top this off? If I would stop by Dairy Queen and have a blizzard. And so then when you order your blizzard, they say, what size would you like that? And you think to yourself, you know, small would probably do, but a large sure really sounds good. And so you get your large and you eat it. And when you get done, you realize, what was I thinking, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? In a moment, it sounded good, all right? But in the end, you realize what I thought was good was not so good in the end. You see, as we, Robbie, are you aware of that? You smiled real big. Does it happen to you occasionally? Okay, all right, all right. So I was just wondering, right? As we think about the temptations we face, let's admit that our temptations vary from person to person. All right, what is tempting to you may not be tempting to me and vice versa. Looking specifically at our topic today of sexuality and sexual identity, we have to understand that our sexual temptations vary. There are many single adults that are tempted to become sexually active before marriage. Many married people are tempted to enter into adulterous relationships. Many married and single people are tempted to find sexual fulfillment in pornography and fantasy. And yes, some people are tempted to same-sex attraction. And when it comes to these different temptations, we have to remember something. You ready? A person doesn't choose their temptation. All right? Let that sink in for a minute. A person doesn't choose their temptation. In fact, one of the greatest mistakes people make when it comes to dealing with the issues of same-sex attraction and homosexuality is trying to explain the cause. 
We wanna say, is it biological with a person being born with the same sex attraction or is it a result of the environment in which they grew up? And so something happened in their environment that caused them to be this way. Well, what we have to do is be honest and understand this, that when you look at studies on either side of that, that try to say it's biological or others that try to say it's environmental, here's the truth. None of those studies are conclusive. You cannot get to the end of any of them and say, here is the call. And I'm going to say this to you. It really doesn't matter. Okay? Just like you cannot explain fully the root cause of other temptations, neither can you explain the root cause of our various sexual temptations apart from saying this, ready? They are a product of the fall. Okay? Because sin exists in the world, various temptations, even ones that seem appalling to me, will exist in the lives of people. That leads me to remind all of us of this fact, that temptation itself is not sin. We all face various temptations. All right, anybody want to raise your hand today and say, I face temptations? All right. Again, the rest of y'all didn't raise your hand, faced the temptation to lie, and you did not raise your hand. Right? All right. We all face those. But just because I or you are tempted doesn't mean we have sinned. Okay? It is when we act upon the temptation that we move to the realm of sinning. I want you to keep that in mind. You see, Paul mentioned the struggle to do right when he wrote these words in Romans 7, 18, verses some of you are very familiar with, but listen to him. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, look at this, evil lies close at hand right? It's important that we remember whatever temptation somebody is struggling with is a temptation that we should be working to help them overcome. We should never write off anyone just because we don't understand their temptation or because we see their temptation as a majorly bad thing. We all need help in overcoming the temptations we face. Amen? We do, all right? I'm sure you have a temptation that you continually battle with. You wish that you didn't face that temptation regularly. You probably have even prayed many times for God to take it away, yet you still seem to struggle. Because you struggle, you realize you need help to stay strong. And if we don't get help to overcome temptations, then there, hear me, there's not a one of us here today that will win the battle. Not a one of us if we don't get help. We need to remember that our own lives, and we need to remember that when it comes to others, we need to be willing to help them. That takes me really to the next thing that we need to consider this morning. Catch this, that Christ died to redeem redeem us from our sin. You know, when we look at an answer for the temptations we face, the first place that we must turn to for help is Jesus Christ. If we're going to overcome temptation, hear me, the battle is not going to be won just by a try harder mentality and finding the right self-help approach. Every person needs something beyond themselves to win the battle over temptation. Here's the good news. The good news is that God has provided the power we need through salvation in Jesus Christ. Where's all the amens on that one, right? The good news is that God has provided that. The, The gospel tells us that we all have sinned and become enslaved to sin. 
However, God sent Jesus to carry the penalty of our sins for us. Jesus came. He lived that sinless life. He took our sin upon himself, and then he died on a cross to pay the death penalty that our sins deserve. In doing so, he made it possible for us to be declared righteous before God if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. However, let's remember the gospel also says that Jesus rose to life and through his resurrection, not only is eternal life made possible, but you through your faith in a relationship with Jesus gain the ability to live life differently, to not live enslaved to sin. Paul put it this way in Romans 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died, look at this, has been set free from sin. Now, I want to quote Jackie Hill Perry again. And most of you probably don't even know her name. You probably never heard it. You say, you've already quoted her once. Why are you quoting her again? Well, Perry is a writer, a poet, and an artist who has written a book entitled Gay Girl, Good God. It's a book that tells her personal story of living a homosexual lifestyle, but then finding faith in Jesus Christ, uh, which transformed her life, a life that now, in fact, includes a husband and two children. One of the statements she made about God was this one. I really like this. Without asking my permission, a good God came to my rescue. All right. We all could say that. Amen. Right. All right. God chose to rescue us before we even knew we needed rescuing. Praise God. But when speaking about living her, her new life in Jesus, here's what she said. Now, listen to it. I hope you grab it. I put it on the screen so you can look it at your eyes. And I want you to take this in. What a great statement this is. She said, when salvation has taken place in the life of someone under the sovereign hand of God, they are set free from the penalty of sin, look at this, and its power. In a body without the spirit, sin is an unshakable king under whose dominion no man can flee. The entire body with its members, affections, and mind all willfully submit themselves to sin's rule. But when the Spirit of God takes back the body that he created for himself, he sets it free from the pathetic master that once held it captive and releases it into the marvelous light of its Savior. It is then able to not only want God, but it is actually able to obey God. And isn't that what freedom is supposed to be? The ability to not do as I please, but the power to do what is pleasing. Isn't that a great statement? I had to share that with you this week. When I read it, I was floored. I thought, what a great statement, all right? If you're here today and you have never given your life to Christ and you are struggling with your sin, I have no doubt of this, that sin will always win in your life. Always. For you, the first step to winning the battle over sin and specific to our topic today, sexual sins in particular, is to give your life and the control of your life to Jesus Christ. And when you do, you will be set free from the control of sin in your life and you will gain the ability through the power of the Spirit to say no to whatever temptation seeks to control your life and actions and you can say yes to God's will. You can say yes to living your life, including your sexual life, in a way that pleases God. As it's stated another way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Praise the Lord. Right? 
Truly for all of us, there is hope in Jesus to overcome the temptations that seek to own us. There can be victory over sin in our lives through Jesus Christ, no matter what your past. Listen, God can give you a different future, amen? God can help you live a righteous life for him, which really leads me to my next point, that the life of a Christian should be one that glorifies God, right? The life of a Christian should be one that glorifies God. Consider this thought for a moment, okay? I want you to think about this. I'm going to put it on the screen too, all right? We need to identify the temptations we face, but we should not find our identity in those temptations, okay? We need to identify the temptations we face, but we should not find our identity in those temptations. See, once a person begins to identify themselves in a certain way, they are driven by that identity. For example, if a person has same-sex attractions, they need to identify the reality of that temptation, but that person should not identify themselves as a homosexual because of the attraction. If a person identifies as a homosexual, they will then act accordingly. They will act based upon their identity. Likewise, if a person has an adulterous temptation, they should not identify themselves as an adulterer because if they do, that person will then act like an adulterer. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Do you understand? See, even some of you will say, well, Brother Scott, to use that example of an adulterer, no one in our society is going to stand up and say, I'm an adulterer and be proud of it, right? Well, listen, in our society, I believe anything is possible, right? Right? I don't believe it's that far from a stretch for people to stand up and say, well, that's who I am, right? What we ultimately want to do in our society is we want to point to that. But listen, we shouldn't ultimately make our temptation our identity. Our temptation should not dictate our identity. For a believer, hear me, one should always find your identity in Christ. And if one finds his or her identity in Christ, then your actions should be driven by that identity, I think many have probably heard this verse before. It's found in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, but it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of what? God. You see, for a believer who finds their identity in Christ, that should be a first that we live by. My identity is in Christ, and so I live in that identity, so everything I do is to glorify Him. Likewise, a passage that is specifically relevant to our topic today is found in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 20, where it reads this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now look at this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have for God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your what? Body. See, Paul is making it clear that if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And since your body is then the holy temple of God, then you should glorify him with your body. In other words, you live life in such a way, all right, that what you do is driven by what pleases God and brings him glory. It says that the person who is tempted with adultery, that you should instead be faithful to your spouse because committing adultery would not only be harmful to you and your spouse, but it would also bring disgrace to God. It says to the person with the same-sex attraction that instead of giving in to the attraction, you choose to live and act in a way that glorifies God. For some, it might mean living a celibate life. For others, it might mean pursuing a healthy heterosexual relationship through the power of Christ. But in either case, it means living to the glory of God. 
It says to the person who's struggling with the temptation of pornography that you choose not to indulge in pornography and instead let your eyes be protected from looking at people as objects and instead save your eyes for your spouse alone. It says to the unmarried tempted to engage in premarital sex that you choose to remain pure until you are married where you can express with joy the gift that God has given to a married couple to share their love one for another. We could go on, but you should be able to understand what I'm saying. When you find your identity in Christ, that identity should drive you and dictate what you do, regardless of how you feel or what comes natural that you are tempted to do. You should instead live to glorify God. Let me tell you partly why I say this statement, because some people want to argue, especially in the realm of homosexuality, that we should embrace it because it's just a natural expression of love for some people. Can I ask you this question? Do we really want to be driven what we feel or what comes natural to us? Do we? I hope you would say no, all right? Because if the argument for why we do something is what we feel is right or what comes natural to us, hear me, then there is no limit to what is right or wrong. Right? If we are driven by this kind of thinking, You cannot even look at the person who says that they have an attraction to young children and act upon that and say they're wrong. Now, right there, I just shocked some of y'all, right? Some of y'all say, I can't believe he said that. But I want you to understand how far that argument goes. If you say we're just going to live by what we feel or what comes natural, nothing is wrong. Okay. I hope that helps you again see the danger of this kind of logic. What we must be driven by is a God-centered worldview that says God is the one who determines right and wrong, and therefore I will let his authority rule my life and dictate my actions. And if we as believers take such a view, it will change every aspect of our lives as we seek to glorify God with our bodies. If we seek to live a life that glorifies God, hear me, it really will affect every aspect of our life. Will it not? I told you this was for all of you today, right? Remember this, believers, ready? Hear me. There is coming a day when we will be made perfect. Amen. I'm ready for that nine and two, okay? In 1 Corinthians 15, we read about how one day we will put off these mortal bodies and we're gonna put on the immortal. We will put off the perishable and we're gonna put on the imperishable. And when that day comes, we will be made perfect and we will no longer face battles that we face today. When that happens, temptation to do wrong will be no more, all right? We're not gonna face that any longer. But hear me, as long as we live on this earth, we will face the battle with the flesh and we must choose whether we will walk in the spirit of God and glorify God or whether we will walk in the flesh and we will glorify our own selves. Let's choose to live out our identity in Christ and live for God. Okay. So as we prepare to close, I'm going to make two quick application points, all right, for you. Two quick application points. Number one, no matter what temptation you face, Choose to live out your identity in Christ and find life. Romans 8, 12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will Say it. You will live. Folks, if there is anyone we owe a debt to, it is Jesus Christ who died to give us life. Therefore, our goal should be to live for him, to live in a way that glorifies him and lives out our identity as Christians. If you do that, you will live by the spirit of God and that leads to life. 
However, folks, if you choose to live by the flesh, you'll die. Let's choose Christ and find life. Let's choose Christ in every area of our life, including our topic today, sexuality. I'll go ahead and be honest. What I have discovered in my personal life, when you live out your sexuality in a way that pleases God, you will find a great deal of satisfaction without the guilt that living outside of God's design brings. So make a commitment, no matter who you are today, to live sexually and every way in a way that glorifies God. Now, for some of you, here's what that's going to mean. That's the challenge for you today to give your life to Jesus Christ, because you're not going to live that out until you give your life to him. And in a moment, when we have an invitation, if you say today, I'm here without Christ and I'm battling temptation in many ways, won't you come and find the first help you need by coming and give your life to Jesus Christ? And then for everyone else, listen, let's live out our identity as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, second, as believers, let's help those struggling with every kind of temptation live for God, all right, rather than living as their enemy. I want you to hear this. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, too often what we do in the church is simply condemn those who live in ways that we believe or know is contrary to God's will. Y'all agree with me? Right? That's what we do. What God would have us to do instead is this. Instead of just condemning them, God would say, come alongside them and say, I know you're struggling. Right? Let me help you live for God. Let me come alongside you. Let me help you live for God and then do this. Right? Then invest in them and help them. Specifically to our topic today, even if that sin is a sexual sin, including homosexuality, we must say we are here to help you live for Christ and find life. I hope you're just quiet because it's sinking in. If people are struggling, simply find condemnation in the church, they will most likely never come to find the hope that Jesus brings. So let's be people that help others find life and peace in Jesus as we walk beside them and help them find the power to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Now this morning, we're going to go to an invitation. And an invitation is always a time for us to Hear a message and respond in some way. Like I said today, I know this message is for everyone here this morning. I guarantee you, some of you heard when I was going to preach on sexuality and sexual identity, the only thing that came to mind for some people is he's going to preach on homosexuality, right? But you didn't know I was going to preach on your temptation for pornography. You didn't know it was going to be about yours to have premarital sex. You didn't know it was about, about yours, your temptation of maybe having adultery or other things, right? But what I know today, because I've hit on all of those, I've hit probably everybody sitting in the pews today. One way or another, you've been tempted. And this morning, you've got to make a decision. How am I going to live my life in, in, in light of all this temptation? Here's what probably many need to do this morning. You need to come to this altar and say, God, 
What I'm doing today is I'm bringing my temptation before you. You know my struggle, God. You know what I'm dealing with. You know how I deal with this every day, or maybe it's not every day. Maybe, God, every week, somehow this comes up in my life, or every month. You know, God, for some reason, it pops in my mind just when I thought of God, it beat God. You know it comes back in my mind. You know your temptation. And maybe you need to come and kneel before a holy God and say, God, I'm bringing this temptation to you. God, thank you that you understand my struggle. Thank you that your word reminds me that this temptation and struggle is there and it's common for everybody. And so God, I know today the temptation is not sin. And Lord, I'm thankful that the temptation is not sin. But God, I need your power and I need your strength to make sure my temptation doesn't become sin. And why don't you come and bring that before God and say, God, what I want from you is continue to give me the strength to walk in your spirit, God. Give me the strength to live for you. Because help me, God, you know the battle. And ask God to come, even maybe to help you and to fill your mind with the things from above and the things that are pleasing to him rather than that temptation that maybe right now is bombarding your mind. Why not come and lay it before the Lord and say, God, I need you today. Because you know how many days we need him? Every day. Every day we need the Lord. So why not bring that? Maybe there's some you've actually given in to your temptation. I got good news for you. There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Some of you are the first time. You've never given your life to Jesus. And so I want you to know today, as I said earlier, God loves you. He cares for you. He don't care what your past is. He doesn't care what your sin is. Even if your sin is not a sexual sin, he doesn't care what it is. The good news for you this is there's forgiveness for anything in the name of Jesus. He died for all sins, okay? In fact, I love that. He died for all and today, if you've given in to temptation and there's a sin and you've never met Jesus and been forgiven, today's the day to come and give your life to him because God wants to forgive you and he wants to give you his spirit. He wants to give you a new life this morning. I invite you to come today and give your life to Jesus. And if believer, you're here again, you just come and say, Lord, I want to walk in your spirit. I want to glorify you with my life. Maybe there's others here today and here's where you're at. You realize that as a believer, you've been living a high and mighty life and what you've been doing, you've been spending all your time judging people who don't live like you or live the way you think they ought to live, right? You've been coming, you've been condemning people who's walking in sin. And yes, some of those may be appalling sins in the sight of God. But listen, God calls us what? To pray for those people. God calls us to minister to those people. God calls us to speak his truth into their life and help them. And you've been spending all your time condemning them. Maybe you need to come this morning and say, God, forgive me for having such a condemning spirit. God, give me a heart of love that's helping those around me who are struggling with whatever sin that I might come alongside them. I might walk with them and help them no matter what their sin is, God, so that I can help them find life in you. Because church, hear me, if all the world ever knows us as people that hate, right, and condemn, they'll never find the love of our Jesus who died for them. And so maybe you need to come today and say, Lord, soften my heart. Soften my heart, God. Give me a love for no matter what the struggle is for that sinner who's struggling with that. God, give me a heart for them and help me come alongside. Maybe you even know somebody who's struggling with something right now. Bring them to the altar. The altar is here for anything. I, I don't know what God's calling you to do. I don't know the response, but here's what I do believe. I believe God is calling every one of us to some response this morning. What are we gonna do? Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to you today, I know, Father, there's days as a preacher when you share a subject, you know the subject is maybe a little bit weightier than others. But Father, the reality is they're all weighty. Because, Father, the truth is that Every message ultimately points us to you, and, and that's, Father, what we need. 
And so today, Father, my hope is, is above all that people have been pointing to you and God living for you and your glory is what's on our minds this morning as we come to this invitation. And so, Lord, no matter where people are at, no matter what you've been speaking to their heart about, no matter what's come to their mind in these moments, my prayer would be as we come now to this invitation that you would speak to their hearts and mind through your spirit. And Father, there would be responses today based upon your will and your desire for our lives. And I don't know what all the responses are, but Father, I'm sure there's some that have temptations they need to be praying about. Others need things they need to ask forgiveness for. Some have people they need to be praying for. Some need to be praying, God, for a more loving heart. Whatever, Father, I know that there's great needs here this morning. And so during this invitation, speak, Lord. And most especially if there's one here that's never given their heart to you, I pray this would be a moment that some would come and give their life to Jesus Christ and experience the power that can break any sin in our life. And so, Father, today again, We thank you, Lord, for your call. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. During this invitation, may we see a response to your love, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.